honored to be here. I was excited about this. So thank awesome. you. So um, for those who are unaware, I am speaking to Danny Hagen right now. Danny Hagen is an L.A. based singer songwriter. Uh, she's played all the spots that you can think of when you think of L.A., including the Viper Room. Um, and I've heard nothing but great things about her. I mean, her recent single is out now. That's good guy. And I'm a huge fan of the song. Uh, I immediately fell in love with the Jam in the Van EP, uh, which she had done. And you did you performed about three songs, I believe. Mm-hmm. And all stellar. I thought it was a great showcase for you as far as showing your range, not only as a songwriter, but as a vocalist. I thought that was really important to see that showcase uh, of your abilities. So how was it doing uh, doing that Jam in the Van showcase, by the way? That was, I, I didn't, I did, I, that was such an amazing experience. I didn't um, know how much I would love that. And I showed up with my band and it was just like this really unique LA experience of you literally get into this van and they've got like three cameras set up on you and they've got a sound team in the front of the band. You're performing, you're performing in the back of the van. Um, and that was just like a really iconic moment in the beginning of my career. <laughs> It's incredible. And I mean, to me, it's uh, really interesting. I always like to get down to the origin story, especially for first time guests on the show. Uh, seeing that you, you're a much of your artist, but it seems to me like you've been actively working on your craft for quite some time now. And you only really started to publicly showcase that as of like a couple of years ago in 2020, correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, there. <laughs> I, I popped out singing. I've just, I've been into music ever since I was a kid. I taught myself, I started to teach myself piano when I was five. I wrote my first song. I didn't tell anybody about it, but I wrote my first song when I was nine. And then right after high school, I bought a guitar. And that's when I really started to find my own voice. Cause I have a lot of musical background and, and classical training um, in every possible form you could imagine. I've had hundreds of teachers and thousands of hours of training. Uh, and it wasn't until I bought my guitar where I was like, oh, that's what my voice sounds like. Uh, instead of trying to sit into this pocket of like, okay, we're competing with opera music. You have to put on your operatic voice. And I never liked it. And then musical theater, you're always playing a character. Uh, but then I bought a guitar and I was like, I, w- I wasn't trying to be anybody else. And that's when I really was like, okay, here's where my voice is. And then you know, as years have gone on and I've, I've gained more experience and gotten more comfortable in myself. And really in the last couple of years, I've really defined somehow who I am as an artist and a vocalist. And, and that's when I started getting attention for it. So it's something lining up. (laughs) So this has been like a long time coming for you. You've obviously you've put in the hours, but you've been very much working on it behind the scenes. It sounds like. Yeah, uh, And now you felt comfortable enough to say, OK, I'm ready to showcase my abilities and my talents now. Well, you know, I've always been a performer. I've always been on stage. I've always been doing shows. And like I came out to L.A. not with the intention of being a musician. I came out here after living in New York City for a while. And I was like, OK, I'm, I was doing off Broadway in New York. And I was like, OK, well, let's go to New- L.A. and see if. I can do some screen because you can play 14 on Broadway until you're 45. So I figured, okay, let's get some screen time while I can. And I did really well as an actress and I enjoyed it, but I missed something. I was missing the stage and that the audience interacting with you. And, and so I, I grabbed my guitar and I started performing around LA and 
Um, so I've been performing here for a long time, but again, once I really stepped into myself, that's when I started, I, I guess, getting a little bit more attention for it. What I really like, and if anybody's interested in checking out, which I suggest they, I strongly suggest they do starting with, from the beginning, really start with baby come home, which mm. was the first single you released. Yeah. Uh, there's something about what you bring to the table that for me is what I look for when I seek out artists, which is the look and, but as well as the songs, I mean, you have the songwriting is there, but you also have that performance aspect. And I think that duality is really what makes you the complete package. You got the range, you got the vocals, but you also have the performance ability. It seems like, and you seems like you channel a lot of that into the videos too, as far as like the acting ability and whatnot. So I think it all works hand in hand. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, growing up in community theater, acting, singing and dancing all go hand in hand. Like even I I was a dancer for for years and years and years. I don't do it professionally anymore, but um, it's what I went to school for. I was a dancer. And, but you can't. Like you need the music to dance to and you got to tell the story. So there's got to be an element of acting with the movement, with the music. And no matter which one is at the front of the project they're all that underlying foundation of like, I can't sing without telling you a story and like embodying that story to project it to you and the music behind it. So they're all very much ingrained in each other in me, I guess. (laughs) Right. And and going back to the very beginning, as far as influences go, was there anybody in particular that starred you on that track, whether it be musical or in theater or in, in the acting world where, Who were your earliest influences as a performer? I, well, again, I have a lot of musical theater background, but honestly, my grandma bought me this album called Little Girls All Grown Up. And it was full of songs from like the 40s, 50s and 60s, very much um, like leader of the pack style type of music. And I was raised on that kind of doo-wop, a little bit jazzy music. and I'm, I'm realizing now that that really was such a heavy influence for me. But then the interesting thing is I met a man named Jeff Barry, and I didn't know who he was. I knew he was a songwriter and we were introduced to each other because somebody else thought like you two need to know each other. And we just clicked immediately. Like, like I need to know more about you. So I went home and I researched him. Turns out he wrote all the songs that I was raised on. He's like this legendary rock and roll hall of fame songwriter from the sixties. And he's, he's literally legendary. I was raised on his music. And then he took, he took me on um, as this up and coming songwriter and became a mentor for years. And, and so that's been like this constant influences, Jeff Berry in that style of jazzy doo-wop kind of bluesy music. It's incredible. And then from uh, from the performing side, as far as on the in theater, in the theater world, was there anybody in particular that you were looking at as an influence? Um, not necessarily, because honestly, I have a little bit of a sheltered background. I'm from North Dakota uh, and I was just so consumed with my studies that I guess I was always studying a role and um again a lot of it was just musical theater that presentation of singing to the back of the house without a microphone um and it wasn't until I got my guitar and I moved out to New York City 
where I was introduced to Journey and some classic rock. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> How have I not known about this before? I'm so late to the party. Uh, and I think the biggest influences for me is probably ZZ Ward and Grace Potter, where they're these blues rock girls with a band behind them. They've got the soul. It's There's like just a little sprinkling of pop on the top, but it's, and that's, kind of where my music's really settled into is the Grace Potter, ZZ Ward, bluesy rock stream, I guess. Yeah, I, uh, something that I immediately thought like your music was reminiscent of was that 90s era of where there was a lot of women in rock and in the mainstream that is that were just providing people with this really powerful, uh, emotionally, like just in your face, Mm-hmm. unrelenting kick-ass i mean das jordan lance morissette joan osborne mm-hmm. Tori amos i mean the list goes on and on and on as far as i mean in the 90s it was huge i mean fiona apple even there's a lot yeah. of art yeah and to me it's refreshing to hear i mean of course you have um modern artists doing that like grace potter mm-hmm. someone i'm really into now it goes under the name dorothy uh, incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. So uh, it's cool. I feel like it's nice to see that back because I don't feel like, I feel like there's a, something lacking a little bit there as far as there, that needs to be recognized more. We need to see some more of that out there in the mainstream and, and out in the world again. Yeah. And I think I, I remember stealing my sister's albums. She had Alanis Morissette, Fiona Apple and Jewel. And the when I started first performing, a lot of people were referencing those artists to me because, again, they were like the albums that I had stolen from my sister. And I, again, late to the party. Um, but when I did find them, I was like, ah, oh, this is just so charged and there's such a story behind it. And music, current music has gotten a little bit, a um, little bit watered down, but intensified at the same time where there's and and for me, the emotion behind a song is what drives the story. And that's, I'm not willing to sacrifice that just to have a, a hook that's going to grab you in and then repeat for three minutes straight. That just bores me to tears. Like I need an arc of a storyline and I love having that emotional depth. Um, and I'm not afraid to tackle that. <laughs> like I like to dive in deep and I've come to realize I use the word deep or dive deep or I have a single that's not released yet that's called deeper um and I'm real I'm starting to recognize patterns in my own songwriting I'm like oh well that's a reflection of my true self of what my current discovery is is like going in deeper and um yeah so I appreciate that thank you for that reference of course of course mine as well I think it's really important too, and, and, and uh, we kind of brought this up in our conversation a few minutes ago, but the idea of building an artist to me has been somewhat lost in the digital age. The idea of like, I'm going to go gigging for five to 10 years. You're not really going to see me out there in public. You're not going to hear about me unless you happen to find me playing, performing, building my craft, putting my 10,000 hours in in these little clubs here and there for, like I said, anywhere between five and 10 years. And then you come out and you come out a lot more fully formed than some of these artists that are out nowadays where it's like almost immediate because you can just post stuff on SoundCloud. You can just post stuff on the internet, YouTube, wherever you want. It's really easy. You don't need to work with record labels anymore. So a lot of these bedroom pop artists are coming out in the last decade where 
they're not really fully formed yet. They're, they're still building their song craft and some of it works out for them, I guess. And then some of it's a little, you know, I don't know. I feel like maybe a little bit more time under wraps could have done them, could have benefited them. And I feel like in your case, you're kind of going that old school route where you have been kind of building this, your craft for a while now. It's only now that you feel comfortable enough to really come out and say, here are my songs. Well, I think it's interesting, the the bedroom pop stars, it's, it's very reflective of where our internet culture is right now. And I think it's, it's, it's necessary in order to survive in the current times, like you have to be able to have that social media platform. And, um, but I'm, I'm a live artist. I want to get up on stage. I want audience in front of me, not behind the screen. That's because the reason why I do this is the connection. Like I want to share what I'm feeling. I want to make you feel something. I want to draw you in and I want to have this moment with you. Um, and that's where that power is really generated for me. And there's this amazing connection that you find through the screen because you you are exposed to these masses of people, but there's such a disconnect at the same time. Um, but yeah, I definitely got my seasoning training in or like doing little tours around LA. Like, um, there was a, a promoter that took me under his, that again, just took a risk on me. He's like, yeah, kid, all right, get up here and, and you can perform. His name was Happening Harry. And um he saw something in me. And so he would use me to trans. I was at the cat club. It was like this little dive bar and it would start with very singer songwritery girls on their guitar and very soft and sweet kind of cafe style. And then it would go into hard metal, hard rock, like rock and roll. Um, and he would use me to transition between the two because I could, I had this ability to grab both audiences, like these biker guys and leather and chains and I'm, you know, I'm so green, so fresh on the scene. And I'm in like this little cute dress, my guitar, but I was singing these heartfelt, like really kind of edgy songs, very Alanis Morissette vibes. And these biker guys would come up and they would sit there and they would just listen to me. So I would kind of transition the night. And that was where I started to get my seasoning of just how to perform for a range of audience. And that's, that's something that I love, but um, the industry struggles with. I like not fitting into a box. I like being able to cross cross genres and, you know, be accepted by the singer songwriters, but still be accepted by the rock and rollers and uh, the people that are trying to, uh, people like to put you in a box. (laughs) So it confuses them sometimes, but I like to color outside the lines, I guess. Yeah. And it's like, I listening to like a song, like baby come home. And you listen to like, I'm Jolene. You know, you, you can already hear like there's there's something different happening. You're not someone that can be pigeonholed right away. You think I, I thought I had an idea of where you're going. And don't get me wrong. You have an identity. And I think that's important to mention. There's a lot, like you said, a lot of these artists that I personally fell in love with can tackle all sorts of genres and all sorts of different musical landscapes. But you always knew of their identity, their identity always would seep through it somehow. You always knew it was them because they had a very distinct way of either singing a song or writing a song that no matter what genre, that mm-hmm. little part of them was still there and was still intact. They didn't lose sight of their unique personality and what they were bringing to that musical landscape. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is, is the song. You should be able to take one, str- a song, 
strike it down to just one vocalist, one instrument, and the song should still shine and still get that story and still pull you in. And then you take that song and you can dress it up in any genre that you like. But if it's a good song, every genre is going to want to sing it. <laughs> every genre is going to be able to transform it while it's still a standalone good song. So that's that's what my roots always is, is the song comes first. And then the production around it is that's why a producer is so important to help you to maintain that image or that branding and that um, sense of self, but strip it all down and you still just have me. That's right. And, and with all that being said, what is your, it always intrigues me, the songwriting process for any artist. I think what, what someone goes through psychologically, spiritually, when they're writing a song is different. It's case by case, but in your case, what is the journey that you go on when you decide to sit down and write a song? Is it something that does a melody just pop in your head one day and then you keep in your chord and then you come back to it later? You just start, you make time to sit down and actually say, I'm going to write a song today. How does that work for you? <laughs> well, it's different from song to song, but I do try and carve out a chunk of time every day for the opportunity for creativity, but you don't want to force it. So like, yeah, I've got this two hour time frame where I, I would like to sit down and write a song, but if inspiration's not coming, I'm not going to force it. But most, I, I don't go anywhere without my lyric book. It's right next to me almost at all times. Now, you know, granted with purses getting bigger and, and phones getting bigger, you carry this around and you type little, like lyrics are constantly going through. I think in iambic pentameter, because my, again, my background is theater. So I was raised on Shakespeare. So you'll, you'll find that iambic pentameter in my songwriting, the cadence. Um, so that's just the natural flow of my thoughts. So I constantly have a poetic thought going through my mind when I'm experiencing something, just because that's how I process it is in a very romantic type of way. And then I'll, I'll jot it down ideally in my lyric book, but you know, I use my phone as well. But for me, like I'll walk around and I write out my guitar tabs. Everything is color coded. Uh, I write in very colorful pens. So I know which song that I'm on. And I also have a condition called synesthesia where um, I experience music through or colors through music and vice versa. So I think that's part of the reason why I use colorful pens. I've been like that my whole life. Um, but I'll sit down and sometimes... I'll be in the middle of doing something, cooking dinner, and I'll just have to stop, let the dinner burn. I hear a melody and it just flows through you. You got to hit the record button. And then a lot of the times my best songs have been written in roughly five minutes. It just comes out of you. And then you develop it over the next hour. And then you come up for air and you're like, oh, I think I just wrote something. I think that's a good one. <laughs> um, so that's generally how it goes. But I love um, the process of it for me, like I'll pour a glass of wine, I'll sit down with my colorful pens and my lyric book, and I'll just sit there and I'll feel. And whatever I'm thinking as I'm feeling, it comes out and it just comes out in the form of a song. It's just a very natural. Um, and I, I've learned to hone that craft and to carve it out and to make it a little bit more defined and structured to fit into the musical needs. Um, but it's a very natural, it's just like breathing. I've heard of that before, that the idea of um, having synesthesia, they, uh, Lord, I believe, uh, was one of the first times I ever heard of that. And uh, I find that incredibly interesting. I mean, I, I wish I, had, I could see you can literally see music right in a way. It's like through colors and all this. That must be really, really, really neat. 
I mean, in a way, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that I had it until a couple of years ago. Cause it's not, it's one of those things where like, I just thought everybody could see the colors that were being played on that instrument. <laughs> um, but I, I do a lot of neurological studies, um, with neuroscience and how it relates to the body and everything is, uh, as a dancer and I, Pilates has been a big part of my life and uh, I have a little bit of a gift of a healer. So I like to kind of mold that all together. But in my studies, the neurological studies, I was literally reading through a textbook and I read synesthesia. I'm like, wait, I have that. It's a condition. This isn't normal. (laughs) And it is actually quite common for artists. Um, but it's a really beautiful way to experience life. And, and it's, since I've learned that I had it, I've kind of learned how to flex it a little bit to turn up the volume on it. To uh, if I put focus on it, it gets really, really the colors get really loud. Or I can turn the volume down and it just becomes white noise in the background, a little distracting, uh, as it always has been my whole life. Um, so, like if I'm having a conversation, a conversation with somebody and there's music on, I have a really hard time focusing because the music, not only the music is pulling focus, but the colors are pulling focus. And you're trying it's. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it all makes sense now. So you're, you're you're very superhuman as an artist. It explains why the music, everything kind of comes together. The, the the way that you feel music, see music, and the way that comes across when people hear your songs. It's very evident that you've pulled and tapped into all these resources that you yourself carry as a human being and yeah. honed in on them, refined them, and turned it into a concise listening experience for your audience which i think is really cool thank you so interesting to hear somebody else's perspective because it's just my existence you know and you speak it out loud it's like oh that's i really do have a a beautiful artistry that i get to live inside of um and it's been nurtured my whole life from my parents to all the education that i've had and and the life that i've built for myself it's yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it, it's 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 real. I think it's human. It's human and it's relatable. in in the sense of like, like you said, you're you're making that connection, that one on one connection. People hear your songs. The way you tell these stories, the way you sing these stories, I should say, is just it's immediate that it's coming from a a very raw place. It's not something that's you know manufactured or you know being made to cater to a specific person or thing yeah uh just for money's sake you know it's really it's it's true art you know what i mean and, and and it's awesome and refreshing again to see that uh in a newer artist i think again uh that's an inspiration i think it should be seen as an inspiration to many that this stuff still thrives and we still have a necessity for for people like that out there in the world today especially in the music in the musical landscape right yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So tell me about your latest single, because I think that we need to talk about that. I, I really <laughs> love what you've brought there. Um, it's got more of a Southern tinge, so I really dig that. Uh, I love what you brought to that song. Um, of course, it's the latest single, so I think it's the perfect example. It encapsulates really where you're at right now. You're also working with a, uh, a new producer, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Someone that's a little bit more of a name. Yes, Michael. You mind? <laughs> Michael Blue at Revolver Recordings, and he has been just an absolute dream to work with. The studio is incredible, his talent. But also, um, again, I've had the opportunity to work with a number of producers, and, and I've really come to understand the value of a producer 
and just how much they can change the lane that you're in. And he does a really good job of just letting me express. And then he takes it and he molds it and he just directs it where I'm already headed, I guess. And he does a really great job of getting that full band rock and roll sound with just like a little nod to country, a little nod to the blues rock and a little, little nod to just good old fashioned storytelling. Um, yeah. So good guy. I actually wrote with um, Michael and Dalton in the recording studio. And again, we just sat down, we wrote the song. It came out in about an hour and I came into the room and I was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of man bashing that happens these days lately. And, and, and not to take away from anybody else's story. And I understand that there's um, unfortunate situations that happen out there, but I have been so blessed in my life to have good men and women come into my life. There's this old song. Um, I think it's by salt and pepper that what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man, mighty, mighty good man. And I was like, I want to do my version of that song. I want to like, I've, I've got these good men in my life, a, a muse in particular. And I was just like, I just want to thank his mom. Thank you for being a good man. And, and thank you for bringing that into my life. And so that was the the foundation that we started writing the song on. It was like, let's, let's write about a good guy. They always say the good guys finish last, but they finish last because they get the girl, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's where that start uh, song originated was just from like wanting to show love for the good men in my life. Incredible. And so again, working in the studio with a new collaborator, uh, seeing their perspective on it, it sounds to me like this, worked out seamlessly and there's going to potentially, if there hasn't already been more collaborations until, right? Uh, yeah, that was our, my first collab um, with Michael and Dalton and it, it was great. I, I love collaborating. I love co-writing. A lot of the songs that are going to be coming out over the next year um, have been collaborations about a couple of really incredible artists that I had a chance to work with because um, it forces you to level up to, you know, think a little bit differently. How can we make this a little bit more specific, a little less specific, a little more creative. Um, so it, it always challenges me and pushes me outside my comfort zone. And that's usually where you find the best artistry. Right. And you mentioned the, you know, um, songs already that are going to be released throughout the year. Is that the way you're pursuing this right now? Cause I know it's like the wild west right now. Some people release <laughs> yeah. like they're, they announce an album and they release like five singles. They release like half the album before the album's even out. They used to be you release like two, three singles. You work the album. Maybe you release one single, the album comes out, and then you start like releasing a few more after that and you let it ride. Now yeah. it's just like put out as much. Let's hit that first week sales kind of it's, chart and that's it. It's the Wild West. Like you said, like there's there's no there's no formula that is like the the formula anymore. There's a different route to get to the same location. Like we all have the same goals of like, you want to stream it. You want to get a bigger audience. You want to um, ha have a bigger crowd, but so yes, we're going to approach it single by single. Um, everyone's attention span is sh so short. I don't know how many people are actually getting albums anymore. Cause it's all about streaming that single. And with our internet culture, as it is, with TikTok, they were really only looking for 30 seconds. Before. You're lucky if you get 30 seconds before they scroll on. So um, I've noticed that a lot of songs are getting shorter. They went from three minutes and 30 seconds. Now it's like, there's songs out there that are a minute and a half long and that's it. 
and it's to accommodate our shorter attention spans. Um, so we are going single by single, but the lead up is to release the full album. So right now we've got about, I think, six songs fully recorded. And we've got three more in the works and just going to keep rolling them out every couple of weeks. And then the idea is that by, uh, from what I've read, by the fall, you're going to have an entire album's worth ready to go, ready for yeah. release, correct? Yeah, exactly. And I will be purchasing that album because I still believe <laughs> in the power of albums and i like the album listen to me the way i've always viewed it is like i don't know to me albums are like movies they're like films and it's like would i rather watch a scene and not get the entire context or read a novel and just pick out one chapter and leave it there or, Love no, that. no i'm gonna listen i need the entire picture in my head or else to me that one chapter that one scene wouldn't make much sense to me so to me an album to me is a book. It's a food. It's a film. That's the way I view it. And I always will. I, I can't let that go to me. I can't do it in sound bites. It needs to be somebody bled, you know, sweat for this to make this record. They actually put their entire, they put so much time and effort into this is an art. I believe in art, you know, what, whether it be a painting or like I said, or a sculpture or a movie or a book. And I think like, to me, music is that important. I don't know why the mainstream doesn't see it as such, but I do. And uh, I'll always, as long as I live, I'll always believe in the album experience. So I will be purchasing your record uh, whenever that is released. I appreciate that so much. I, I approach the album the same way I approach a set list. If I'm doing a performance at the Viper Room, like, you know, there, there's an art form that goes into just building a set list, right? Like you can't have... Three, um, sorry, there are my garbage trucks coming by if it's getting loud. Okay. Um, you can't have three ballads in a row. You don't want to lose your audience, right? So you want to build an arc that pulls them in, take that moment, and then explode it back. Like there's this whole arc that needs to happen. And I put that same intention into the album where it takes you on a journey. And so when I was putting this album together, I realized that I had I had written three albums because I've, I've written hundreds and hundreds of songs. And so I picked my top songs and was putting them in different orders. I was like, okay, this is a pop album over here. This is a more singer songwriter album. This is the rock and roll. Okay. So we're going to go with that. And then I, I had written another album that was all about um, the dating scene in LA. And it was all about like ghosting and breadcrumbing. And it was, so that was a whole little separate piece on its own. Uh, but the tra- the path that we decided to go on is the more rock and roll, the blues rock track. And um yeah, it, it's it's just interesting to to place the songs to get that storyline arc, but then also be able to take out a single and let it stand alone. But when you put it into the whole movie, like you said, it just completes the story and you get such a, a deeper look inside the artist, inside the music and inside yourself. Because my goal as a songwriter is to be specific enough in my songwriting that you're interested, but also be spacious enough in my songwriting where you can find your own story within my song of where it becomes relatable. of like, Oh, I remember that love. I remember that feeling. And then it takes you back and, or, or that's what I'm going through. That's, that's the other thing. I think as an artist, it's my job and responsibility and a gift that I have where a lot of people aren't as emotionally tapped in as I am. And it's, it's a superpower of mine. And I find a lot of people don't necessarily have the language, whether it be 
the English language or the emotional language to express what they're going through. And that's why so many people connect with music. They're like, that's what I was feeling. That's putting words to my experience. And that that's where that connection really builds. And it's so beautiful to be able to provide that for somebody who's, you know, struggling to experience and process whatever they're going through. Um, and to find that expression through mu- somebody else's music or my music as an artist, that's the most fulfilling thing in the world to me is to be able to be that, that voice and that expression for somebody else. Yeah. You're seriously, thank you for preaching that. Cause I think any, any moment I get to have the, um, the honor of speaking to somebody about these kinds of things, I think it's important that, um, they stress that how important it is and how important it is for people to have music in their lives. It's not just something to pass the time with. I mean, you can do that too, if you want, but I think a big part of it, um, especially if you're someone who needs some sort of escape and something or someone to relate to, because at least for me, that's what music's always been. It's been that best friend for me all my life. It's been something that I could always have there. And there's so many types of music that cater to all types of emotions, any kind of emotion in the book. So really it's therapy and it's cathartic to listen to music, no matter what it is, because you can tap into all kinds of emotions. Right. So mm-hmm. thank you for preaching that. That means the world. But um, tell me if you don't mind uh, one last thing about this is really awesome. And this is one of the first things that I thought was maybe go, I have to, I definitely have to have her on the show is your association as a contributor, a contributor to Gritty and Pink. Ah, uh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Gritty and Pink is this amazing community of women that started in L.A. Um, So we've got the jam scene in L.A. And I've been a part of the jam scene, you know, pre-pandemic. I was performing up to five times a week. I was at the Viper Room at least once a week with the jams. And it's a very male-dominated culture, music industry in general. Um, And Shira, who is the founder of Gritty and Pink, pulled together all of these female artists and built this incredible community of all female artists. And so we get together and we do our female jam nights and we only got to do a couple of them before the pandemic hit, but through the pandemic, the uh, Gritty and Pink has still exploded through online performances. And it's just really amazing to have these women come together where everybody's really crazy talented. There's no egos. Everyone's just like, oh my God, you're amazing. You're amazing. What song are we going to do? Okay, let's get up there and do it. And it's it's this really empowered, um, powerful community of women. And and I'm one of the original um, members of Gritty and Pink. So I, it's just really cool to get in on a foundational level and to watch it expand. And so uh, M- Melissa Etheridge just signed on as, um, I forget what her official title is. She's a, a, an advisor so that's, it's, it's just exploding over the next couple of months. It's going to be really amazing. Incredible. That's awesome. I think we need, again, that's something that we need more of. And uh, I, I'm really excited to hear that this is happening. And also it's cool that you're involved in such a way, but, and there is a live stream happening tomorrow. Am I, am I correct? Yes. Yeah, so the Gritty and Pink live stream is tomorrow evening. I, I believe it starts at five o'clock Pacific time. And um it's going to be mental health awareness. So I'm going to do a little interview in the middle of the live stream and yeah, and I'm going to even sing a song, I think. So 
Yeah. Uh, for those that are unaware, uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, which I am a huge advocate for as a, someone who um, does deal with episodes of anxiety and depression. I'm sure a lot of people do out there. I think it's important to continue talking about it and not be closed off about it. Like I think a lot of people would be ashamed of something like that at a certain point in time. And I think now it seems like things are turning a little bit, especially after the pandemic and stuff. I feel like a lot of people have had to deal with that at more of a face value level. So I think it's important that more people continue to advocate and, and, you know, trust themselves enough to just be open about it and, you know, let people know that they're not alone out there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think as an artist, again, I've been an artist since I, I was five. I mean, even probably before I was five, but like I really started focusing on it when I was five. Um, I've always had a really great outlet for my expressions and being somebody that has such extreme emotions, it, it takes you to different ends of the spectrum in every different direction. And it's a lot to handle. And I've always learned to handle my emotions through music, through expression. And so music has just been my sanity my entire life. Um, and there's been incredible moments through my creative life where people have come and let me know that my music or um, a production that I've done has helped them to one, either understand their own experience or it's maybe to not feel so alone. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out which song I want to sing tomorrow because I think we've all had struggles with mental health as we go through challenges and stress and everything. And so I've got a song that I wrote about a panic attack. I might do that one or no, I think there's a, another one. I forget what it's called. I can't remember the names of my own songs, <laughs> okay. but it's all about, you know, getting through those hard times and, and what you do to get through them and that tomorrow is a brighter day and there's always something to look forward to and, and yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of the mental health, um, pretty and pink live stream tomorrow. Right on. I'll be checking that out as well. So, um, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Sonic dorms today. Oh, uh, Danny, I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been a delight really. <laughs> thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for having me on the show. Feel free to come back on whenever the, uh, the album is released. I'll be here. I would always have that. an open seat on Sonic Dorms, just letting you know. Yes. I'm sold. So. <laughs> I'll see you again.